So, who did Jesus say he was? Well, Jesus said many things, but seven in particular are all mentioned in John's Gospel. They have become known as the I Am sayings of Jesus. And if you like, the I Am sayings are how Jesus describes himself. If you like, they're kind of like the characteristics of Jesus. Today and for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking about who and what Jesus actually says about himself. And today it's, I am the bread of life. But before we really dig into this, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for all he, all he was in, 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 throughout history and all he is today and all he will be in the future. Holy Spirit, will you give us understandings uh, that go beyond our own human capacity as we look into what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. In his precious name, amen. So it's quite hard to isolate a passage of reasonable length about this because Jesus says so much about being the bread of life. So what will happen is um, I will probably expand on our little bit of reading um, as I need to this morning and it could help if you have your Bibles open and it's on page uh, 1069 and 170, 1070, sorry, um, in your church Bibles. So Jesus says this in verse 35, I am the bread of life. What is the significance of bread? Well, today, bread probably isn't our main food that we buy, but it used to be a staple food. And a staple food is one that is eaten often and in such quantities that it becomes a main or standard diet for people. A large fraction of the energy needs and the other nutrients that are needed for survival and health will also be provided by that staple food. What happens when the staple is no longer there? Well, quite frankly, there's catastrophe and starvation and death. Back in history, the poor people of Ireland depended on one thing, the potato. It was the bulk of their diet, their staple food. In 1845, what is known as the Great Potato Famine hit Ireland. In the first year, half the potato crop failed. In the second year, three quarters of what was left also failed. 
and that famine and that failure uh, as the crop as the crops struggled to survive, um, the, uh, it caused starvation, mass migration, and changed the society so that it was never the same again. In Jesus' time, the staple food was bread, along with fish being a close second. Bread was essential, basic food, and it was so basic that in, um, in the Hebrew, to eat bread and to have a meal was one and the same thing. So these six little words of Jesus, I am the bread of life, meant that he was saying he was essential to life, that in him every, there was everything needed to survive. And looking in your Bibles, you will see that this statement of Jesus came after the feeding of the 5,000. What had Jesus multiplied to feed the people with 12 baskets of leftovers? Bread and fish, the two staples. He had spoken staple words of life into their lives and then followed it up with a physical demonstration of the staple foods of the time. His words fed spiritual hunger. His actions fed physical hunger. But what had that meant to the people of the time? Had that meant anything? Well, as Jews... Uh, as the Jews of the time, they only had the teachings of the Old Testament. But bread and the feeding of thousands would have immediately taken them back to the times of Moses. God had provided the Israelites in the desert with food from heaven, manna. He supernaturally provided the essential for survival. A manna was also known as the bread of heaven. So even before we get to the I am statement, they're contrasting what they had been taught as Moses' miracle to the one that they had just witnessed. In verses 30 to 31, they're asking for a sign. As, as if the miracle that Jesus had performed was inferior to the one in Moses' time. And in verse 32 to 33, Jesus has to put them right. It's not about Moses. It's about the Father in heaven, that he gives bread just like he had given the manna in the desert. And the crowd declares, Sir, Always give us this bread. And Jesus answers them, not with another miracle, but with the words, I am the bread of life. So if the bread bit would have taken the crowd back to Moses' time, then the I am part uh, would, uh, would have had even more meaning to them. Because again, going back to the time of Moses, when Moses first asked God who he was, he was, the answer was, I am who I am. 
And God's instruction was that Moses was to say to the Israelites, tell them, I am has sent you. Well, the rest of the chapter is Jesus explaining more about what that means and the Jews grumbling and arguing amongst themselves about it. If we'd read on a little bit further this morning, we would have heard them say, hang on a minute, isn't this Jesus? We know his mum and dad. How can he even say he comes down from heaven? From that point, their minds are closed, and it's recorded that many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And there must have been a lot of them, because Jesus asks his 12 if they want to leave as well. Of course, Jesus isn't being literal. He was speaking of a spiritual reality. But let's think literal for a moment. If we don't have enough food to eat, we will starve and eventually die. Jesus is saying the same about the bread that he is. We will starve. And if we don't have enough of it, we will starve. And the danger is a death far away from Jesus. How do we stop ourselves physically starving? Will we take in enough calories to enable our bodies to function? And a lack of food means loss of weight, reduced appetite, feeling tired, feeling weak, all the things that are on the screen. These symptoms don't appear overnight. They appear gradually. And to start off with, it's easy to overlook them and ignore them until it's much more serious. Well, there is such a thing as spiritual starvation. And symptoms of spiritual starvation include all these, which I'm going to talk about. The first one, weakness or tiredness. Well, we live in a fast-paced world where many zip through the days at seemingly 100 miles an hour. And we keep doing that even when we begin to feel weak and tired. Why? All sorts of reasons will apply. Um, You know, I've got to keep going to pay the bills and keep a roof over my head. Uh, The people that get rewarded and uh, get more money to live on are the people at work uh, that are the ones that start early and go home late without pay often. And our families need our time. There was so much call on our time. The list is endless. And then there's this new kid on the block that appeared a few years ago, FOMO, fear of missing out. This means we will keep doing things, searching for things, because those who do seem to seemingly experience such amazing times in their lives, and we want some too. But there's a spiritual legacy that can set in if we aren't watchful. It starts out, perhaps, with not reading the Bible for a couple of days. And come on, most of us will have done that from time to time. Or being too tired or busy to pray and bring Jesus into our day. The danger is that one or two days 
that would have had a limited effect becomes longer and longer and has a more lasting effect until we become too tired to fit in a Bible reading or pray at all during the day because we've filled that time that was once set apart for the Lord with other stuff. Our second symptom is anxiety. You're going to find this difficult to believe, confession time. Before I knew Jesus, I was so anxious about stuff that I was a control freak. I know it's difficult to imagine. I was so controlling that my poor husband wasn't even allowed to take my baby daughter out by himself. At one point in 1999, I was discovered, I was diagnosed with a major depressive episode and I just shut down emotionally and physically and I had to let my husband do all the stuff. During this time, he took our daughter to, in her pushchair to get a newspaper. Fortunately, the shop was a mere few minutes away because when he arrived home and I asked how he got on, he went pale, ran out of the house, back to the paper shop. He had forgotten he'd taken our daughter with him. And there she was at the, stop, at the shop, fortunately totally oblivious to what had happened. I sometimes wonder whether I really was an actual control freak or just looking out for the safety of our daughter. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We can stop relying on God and giving our worries to him and start to take those worries on ourselves. We can become a bit of a control freak with God. Why bother God with it when I can easily do it myself? Well, what we miss is the practice of relying on him. What blessing do we miss out on that would have come from relying on him even for that small matter? We will never know. Third one is stress or feeling overwhelmed. Look, the world is stressful. If we listed all the things that cause stress, I would be here till this time tomorrow. When you're by yourself, it is easy to get stressed about stuff. When you have someone to share that stress with, it's easier. You've got somebody going through the experience with you. You've got somebody to talk to. And the extreme of being stressed and overwhelmed leads to irrational thoughts, being irritable, being critical, because everything is just too much to think about. There is a song that I love that goes, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. That song speaks real truth. And God is the one to provide us with everything that we need. (laughs) 
common phrases I have heard. Oh, sorry, we've, um, I've skipped something. Sorry. Fourth one, trapped. Of all, uh, all of the above lead actually to this one, trapped, feeling trapped. How many of us have been in the position where we can't see our way out of a situation, had questions of, what do I do? How on earth can I survive this? How do I see a way forward? These questions seemingly have no answer. Common phrases I have heard and I have thought are things like, I feel so far from God. I just don't sense God in my life anymore. There seems no way back from this point, and that's where the enemy gets in. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us to be alert because your enemy is your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. The enemy loves us to feel trapped, with no hope, feeling abandoned and totally alone. Being spiritually starved makes us vulnerable to the enemy. And the last one, we become easily distracted. To this, we can add confusion and lack of being able to concentrate. And our world is a world that largely doesn't know Jesus. There is distraction all around us. And I did a little poll of people I know asking them about the biggest distraction in their lives. And the top answer was mobile phone with all the accompanying things that are associated with them, social media, texting and messaging. We pick up our phones and suddenly an hour's gone by because we've been distracted by something we've been looking at, something we've seen on the phone, and if you like, we've gone down a rabbit hole after it. Other distractions were housework, children, pets, food, so many things that were listed. In a world, in the world, distraction can be a form of escapism. It can be a period of focusing on more pleasurable things, but it can also stop us focusing on the most important things. It can stop us focusing on Jesus. All these symptoms apply to the world in general, but they have huge effect on us as believers of Jesus as well. You see, starvation of the spirit is less obvious on the outside than physical hunger because it all happens inside and the spirit starves so much more slowly. So your spiritual malnutrition uh, may go unrecognised for periods because, long periods, because the body just carries on going and the spirit is within. Yet just as surely as physical starvation causes outside changes, so the spirit will do too 
it'll eventually be recognised by the outside changes people see in you. I have given these points the acronym WASTE because it's a waste of a life that can otherwise be full of joy, peace and righteousness. Jesus said it. He said he is the bread of life, so he has the answer to waste. Well, we can't just leave it at that point with a load of, uh, a load of problems. So what's the solution? Well, the world needs Jesus, and he is the answer. We know that. And as believers, then, we have a responsibility and a need to talk about him to those that don't know him yet and lead people to him so that they can experience for themselves uh, what it is to be spiritually full. For us here, as believers... We need to recognise symptoms and take steps to rectify them. And what we do is important because if you gave a physically starving person a three-course meal, they would throw up because their stomach could not cope with the richness and the quantity of that food. They need small, frequent portions The biggest source of spiritual food is enclosed in this. It's the Bible. And to start off reading it, or to read it again when you've been spiritually starving, needs small, regular bits. So we we need to start off with small portions. Um, You can get daily devotionals that have a tiddly little bit of scripture at the top of a page each day and then an explanation of what that means. We can progress to reading a psalm a day and then progress again by reading something like Mark's Gospel because it's the shortest gospel and it's it's so packed with truth. Spending long hours in prayer after starvation isn't going to work either. You've got, you're going to have to, you've got out of the habit. You're going to have to work at it. What on earth can you talk to God for about, you know, God for hours about? Well, you need to strengthen your spiritual muscles and kind of train for it. Um, And uh, so, A physical example, two of Andy and Mary's sons, Chris and James, are competing in an Ironman event very soon. And it is staggering. It's a 2.4-mile swim. It's a 112-mile bike ride. And then if that isn't enough, you finish it off with a a marathon, another 26.2 miles. And you just don't go out and do it. You have to train for it. You have been training for months. Well, when I first became a Christian, I thought I'd better give this prayer lark a go. So, 23 years ago, I started. Honestly, I was bored after a couple of minutes. I'd run out of things to pray about, and quite frankly, my prayers felt they were going up to the ceiling and bouncing back. I was really discouraged. 
Day three hadn't progressed any further than day one or two, and I'd had enough. I went to the bathroom, and bathrooms, I found, are very spiritual places. Anyway, I sat down, and I said to God, I am not impressed by this prayer lark. It was the first time I heard him speak back. He said, love me more nearly, follow me more dearly, day by day by day. And from that, I gathered that prayer was born out of relationship and it was a thing of practice. And I was encouraged because I'd heard something. So I carried on just for a couple of minutes here and there. And then I discovered that as I walked home from taking my daughter to school, I could have a chat with God then. So I found out that if I didn't do it all at once, I could chat to God throughout the day and it wasn't such hard work. So I started to think of prayer as not a thing to be got over with as quickly as possible, but actually as opportunities to chat with God throughout the day. Sometimes, do you feel you should be in church, but you're tired? There are too many obstacles in the way, children to get ready, you're not feeling quite, quite as good as you usually feel. The journey is just too much faff. Sometimes, is it easier not to come? Well, I think we've all felt like that, but that is just the time you should be in church. We are the body of Christ, the family of God, and we need each other. Ask somebody to walk on your Christian journey with you. Go up to somebody you admire, like, respect, and ask them if they would walk alongside you. We have a posh name for it, mentoring, but it just means exactly what I've said. We've, ha- we've been having a big thing on discipleship at the moment, encouraging people to get into connect groups. Sadly, not all of us belong to a connect group. But it's a way of sharing our struggles. It's a way of having people looking out for you and praying for you. It's a way of discussing the difficulties and the challenges of Christian life with people that will totally understand. Another way of meeting with people is to get into groups of three or four and meet regularly. And we call them another posh name, formation groups. And for more info on all of those, uh, speak to James down here afterwards. He'll point you in the right direction. And I'm coming into land. No matter what anybody tells you, you cannot do your Christian journey alone. It isn't possible. We need each other. We can go through our lives in spiritual starvation and just be in survival mode, or we can turn to the solution, the very bread of life himself, Jesus. I've only scratched the surface this morning about Jesus being the bread of life and what he said about it. 
And in a moment, we're going to have communion. And it will be given with, uh, we will be given bread with words like, this is the body of Christ. And it would be good to use this communion this morning to thank Jesus that he is the cure for any symptoms of spiritual starvation that we may be experiencing at the moment. And my final line, physical bread has a shelf life before it goes off. Jesus never gets stale or goes mouldy. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, thank you that you never go stale and you never grow mouldy. That you are always fresh each day. And as we come to you each day and let you, and your, with, by your Holy Spirit, just wash over us and refresh us. Holy Spirit, I, um, I just ask you to highlight those areas in our lives that are going down the route of spiritual starvation. If there are any of those symptoms of that word waste that are in our lives, will you reveal it to us so that we can put a stop to it with your help? Because you are the bread of life and everything we need to survive comes from you. In your precious name, amen.